electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, live from the NASDAQ market side, overlooking a rainy Times Square in New York. This is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. Your traders tonight at the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Dan Prime Rib Nathan. Tonight on Fast Money, a wild ride on Wall Street. New records all around. But with the big hangups seemingly out of the way, where does your money go from here? Plus, the weaker retail sales numbers spooking some consumer bulls. But what's the number as bad as some think? Is the American shopper alive? And well, we're going to find out. And later, your chart of the week. We'll find out what has got BK so excited about to settle down, about this record run. All right, so much ahead. But we begin by taking a page right out of a Christmas carol. We need Wilfred to do this. Why might you ask? Because all year long, the markets have been seemingly haunted by three ghosts. But this week, we have watched them disappear one by one. First, the clarity that the Fed will keep rates where they are throughout perhaps all of next year. Next, last night's UK elections gave us clarity on Brexit's path forward. No more questions. It's going to happen. And this morning, perhaps the biggest specter of all over the market, trade and relief on a tariff and a promise of more ag buying from China that sent that worry packing. Mostly because remember, nothing is quite signed yet. So with these market ghosts gone, effectively, Tim, what the dickens are we to do? Oh, wow. I don't even know how to respond to that, especially when how you about, started. That was really smart. Good job, Sullivan. Well, well look, I, I, think, I think Charles Dickens <laughs> certainly could have written up a, a nice tale that led to a happy ending. And you can make an argument we've had the happiest of endings. Don't look at me like that, Brian. So we have a case here where if you think you've removed all this uncertainty, the next question is, where's the market positioned and where are expectations? And you have to say they're extremely high. Um, it's not as if if you look at bull bear indicators or AAII or whatever you want to follow, greed and fear indices uh, and overall positioning, people are grabbing risk into year end. You had a retail sales number that missed. Yes, you had a jobless claims number that wasn't so great. You had a CPI number that was very hot. So people that think that the Fed's out of commission for all of 2020, I think you have to be clear that the Fed is always going to be a data point away from being back in the conversation. So uh, great week, important week for markets, but a week where I don't think you can just say I, I, everything I, is, is fantastic. Maybe. I do feel like, Steve, people latched on to that slightly weaker retail sales number Definitely. and made it a bigger deal. I mean, auto sales were good. They revised October up. It wasn't like the consumer's gone. The entire market traded off the weak retail sales number. They didn't trade off of the Brexit or trade or Fed, as we just discussed at the top of the show. We've done that for, the, for the whole that. month, right? No, no. yesterday we traded off of trade. We, you had the cyclical names, the chemical names, the paper names, all traded higher. You had tech names. Trade sort of sideways to flat. Today, you had all cyclical names trade lower. 
That means they were paying attention to retail sales versus anything else, which surprised me, to say the least. So I would say, from my view, it was more a combo of the two. So we had weak retail sales, which people didn't expect. So you use that as an excuse or a catalyst to sell. But to Tiny Tim's point, Who, there was what? a lot hey, of... Oh, yeah, hi. going with the theme Whoa. there. So going with the theme of that, I would say <laughs> people are looking People are looking at this deal and saying, college what nickname, kind of... Uh, Tiny Tim was you know, his college you know nickname. That's, I tell you, you what, you that it with Brian's comment. And, yeah, <laughs> my anyway. point is... My point is, I think the deal, the so-called phase one deal today, I think people took a look at it and said it's not much different than we've had if there is even any deal there. And so everybody unwound that kind of risk on trade they had. And, and if it wasn't for Apple, I would say probably the S&P would be down. You think so? What about you, Jacob yeah, Marley? Uh, I don't even know. So here's the thing. I think it's a combination of what you just said on positioning and also sentiment. And I think it's also the yeah. calendar, too. So you think about this. Since early October when we supposedly had an agreement on a phase one trade deal. That was the last bout of downward volatility that the S&P 500 had seen. And it's really been a slow grind up for almost two and a half months now. And here we are off the October lows, about 11 percent, up 26 percent on the year, heading into a year that all of a sudden now you think that those headwinds to global growth are taken away. I'm just not so certain about that. I don't have the answers and I don't know what we traded off or didn't trade off today. But I'll tell you this, it feels an awful lot about like late 2017 into 18 after we got that tax cut in December mm-hmm. and just the sentiment going into 18 it was really I mean we went parabolic I think we were up 8% in the first few weeks of January and then we went down about 9-10% and it took months to get back to those trade deals feel like Y2K a bit I mean everybody's talking about it for months and months and months but the over- wait, and then the nothing over- happens market. what happened the market we got a deal and the market barely blinked either two things no, are happening no, hold on that. But Hold I wouldn't on. say it. <laughs> what? The market blinked yesterday. The market moved yeah. yesterday. Yeah. What? The market, has mo- the market has oh, moved 15% since October, guys. 15% since October. Right. So, yeah. I mean, of course it's moved. It ha- so, I'm talking about on the news. So either but, it was already priced in from the previous move or don't, don't there's, yell a, at me, Brian. There, there's, mean, a, there's another leg up when the paper is actually signed because we don't actually have a deal. No, I don't. I don't. I hear where you're going with this, Brian. I don't think this is about, hey, not until the, the somebody that sings that's particularly overweight. Um, and I don't think we can say that anymore. So I won't. Um, but 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 I, I think this is a case where you got to it earlier, which is that the markets have rallied since October 3rd when we had that that last real kind of dip downward. The S&P is up uh, almost 15 percent in a straight line. That's a dynamic going into the year end where you have some seasonal stuff. Uh, look, Dan said the world's not a great place. There's an argument that maybe we found some bottoming. Um, what's different to me, though, Dan, about now between the end of 2017 into 2018 is you have parts of the market that are just starting to pick up steam now. You actually have um, some of the, the, the late cycle cyclicals. You have some of the resource stocks. You have some of the reflation trade, which is what I've been talking about over the last couple of days, that I think have some room to run into 20, 2020. The, the key for me, though, is Q1, where everyone sort of, I don't want to say got ahead of their skis. I, I'm still positive, but I'm positive going into year end. I don't see a, a hell of a reason to be selling this market in any case, even, even though there's no sell the news event that you could make on trade because there's other phases that are coming. So you don't want to get in front of that. You've been run over every time you started to short the market. I do think the test is going to be Q1, where we see where estimates are and where reality hits the pavement. That'll be your chance to sell the market. We're not there yet. Well, just don't fight the Fed. 
I, I guess, mean, just I never, guess ever fight that, the Fed and a couple hundred billion in liquidity. Yeah, so, so far, term, that's term been, that has been the right week, move. But I think, you know, to Steve's point, we have we do have a market that is up a lot that perhaps has gotten a little bit ahead of what earnings growth are going to be. So the point is, you better have that global economy kick in. This so-called phase one deal better get uh, CEOs out there saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to spend some money out there. I'm going to build something. I'm going to send some ships around the world. Otherwise, I do think Q1 you're, you're spot, could be I think be you're problem. spot on. I mean, Dan, listen, to BK's point here, it has not just been the U.S. market. I mean, the Japanese Nikkei's finally started to do something. Europe has done well over okay, the last okay, 90 Brian, days. Okay, Every major okay, index okay. is up. Okay, think what it took in this mid-cycle adjustment to get these global economies like working here. We had three rate cuts, and we had the Fed stop QT and start effectively QE. We see it out of the EU. We see it out of Japan. So if that's what it takes to get a 25% return, on the S&P 500, fine. It doesn't mean that we've solved any ills that's going on in the global Dan's economy. Right no, I'm just Dan, saying, like, Dan I, just, I just feel like looking like at it through the, the lens Same of thing. the S&P 500 is not speaking to these issues. This trade deal is not about soybeans and natural gas. It's about what is this perceived imbalance of trade, okay, since China joined the WTO 30-some years ago and what they've been taking advantage of. That's what this is about. So if you're telling me that you put all of these tariffs in place out of a tweet, okay, you're weaponizing tariffs, and then you're going to roll 10 billion of them back. That's the net differential. And I'm telling you, it's not a deal. It's not a win. It's not anything. And it's if just we're not closer gonna... for the market, though. What's it's that? It's semi-closer. It's okay. okay. way to run. But, but Steve, run Steve here's, here, this is a good analogy, okay? The North Korea deal. Remember the Singapore summit, and he had this thing, and he was going to walk out. It was a huge thing, and this and that, whatever. And nothing happened, okay? Right. There's a strong likelihood about, that we have the same thing here. I, I hear you. That's but, why but, I said the paper's the not signed yet. Trade, I wonder if there's another leg up. The market's trade on perception and reality and where, where that middle ground is. So would you is, say that, that a flat S&P today would tell you that the, the no, perception is that, that we S&P, may not have anything? I would say that an S&P yeah. up 26%. Think, but we, 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 we rallied into that, though, over the last couple months. But it's up 26%. It's based on a lot. Hold on. We're going to get to Josh in a second. I don't want to be the Grinch, but let's not forget. At the same time, this deal is being talked about. There's also the threat now, Tim, of bigger tariffs, new tariffs on European goods, by the way. We, we sell to China and then we're about the create, same as the GDP. Hold on, about the same of GDP of Delaware. But we're going to create another wall, and then that wall will, will be taken over by bulls yet again. I'm just saying again. the threat of tariffs where they are is not gone. So, so, again, this, this seems to be a tool this administration loves using. They love using tariffs. They love to use trade restrictions. They actually love to use sanctions. Um, these are things that I don't think are particularly effective in an economic sense, from a market sense and from a political sense. And I think this may be what Dan's talking about. Look, winning a trade war um, that, that gets soybean deals to states well, we that are very it's politically not about soybeans. We know it's about IP, but that's the, that's the whole thing. There might be using soybeans and ag and everything else, but it's about IP. Everyone agrees. Both okay. sides of the aisle but agree. Steve, Democrats well, and on. Republicans But they started with steel tariffs IP. in March of 2018. And then you've got to bring so- You have no I other know, leverage, But though, what man. has happened, though? It, now we're, we're here. We're, yeah. We have a deal that's literally just pulling back some tariffs and buying more ag. I mean, it's about so, IP. But it's step in the right direction. Okay, okay guys. Okay. Good. It was a good discussion. It's Friday. It's almost Christmas. Take it sure. down. God bless us all, everyone. Everyone. All right. The biggest company in America may have just dodged a big bullet thanks to that trade deal. Josh Lippin is in San Francisco with more of these details. Josh. 
So, Brian, a green light for tech. That's how some analysts are describing President Trump's decision today to cancel that next round of tariffs on Chinese goods that had been set to take effect on Sunday. And one big company in the crosshairs of those new levies, Apple, because those tariffs for the first time included smartphones, and that could have put Tim Cook in a tough spot, either absorb the tariff and take a bottom line hit or raise prices and risk denting demand. Wedbush estimates Cook would have needed to raise the price by $150, impacting iPhone demand here in the U.S. by their estimate by as much as 8%. Still, other analysts I spoke to said even if levies had been imposed on Sunday, Cook might have earned exemptions. After all, they note, the president seems to think well of Cook, referring to him as a great executive and suggesting that he didn't want to let Apple's big rival, Samsung, benefit because of these tariffs. Apple hit a new all-time high today. It's now up more than 70 percent this year, on track for its best year since 2009. In part, analysts say that's because investors think Cook seems to be well navigating this minefield of tariffs, earning exemptions for the new Mac Pro. And remember, all, Apple is also seeking exclusions for other tariff products, too, like the watch and AirPods. Brian, back to you. All right, great stuff. Josh Lipton, thank you very much. All right, let's trade this. You got Apple up 10 of the past 12 weeks, BK. I mean, yeah. it's had a heck of a run there. It has been on a tear, so you certainly don't want to get in front of that. That being said, if you're in this, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a third off here. You had this kind of explosive mood today on the fact that Tim Apple went out there and talked to the president and said, you know what, we don't want tariffs. That was on purpose. And... Apple benefited from that. But I think at some point, you've got to take some profits off the table. What's interesting about Apple is, is that this was the trade war stock um, that certainly was going to be in the crosshairs, just like the semis and the SMH. What you actually found is that t Apple lowering prices was a big deal in terms of jump-starting shipments and, and having a lot of analysts offsides in terms of their expectations on the iPhone. But then it became a services story. So those are the reasons why Apple has outperformed. Uh, and it's, it's largely decoupled, just like every other trade war stock or sector, including semi. Conductors. It, it, for me, it, when you look at that service number and you, you think about how everyone came out as a wall of bearishness against the hardware company and then services started to come on. And even in conservative estimates, where you think this service number is going to go is pretty extreme to the upside going forward. I've been long for a while. I, I'm thinking about taking some off the table, but I can't pull the trigger just yet because 270 was going to be the line in the sand, and it kind of blew right past that. Does, is Apple still a good value? I mean, no, it, trades at eight, no. it trades at an eight-point discount on trailing earnings to Microsoft. So it trades at 21 times expected uh, 2020, um, you know, uh, EPS expected to grow about 10%. That's after being flat last year. iPhone units are not growing for the third consecutive year in a row. And I think you have to pay attention to Credit Suisse. Yesterday had a note, the analyst has a neutral on it, but he had a note saying that iPhone shipments in the month of November were down like 35% year over year in China. China was the issue in the last Q4, calendar Q4, where Apple had to pre-announce negatively on January 3rd. I don't know how this sets up. You guys are right about services, at least from a blended multiple rate. But I'll tell you this, that gross margins are moderating. The prices and the G, uh, they're going to be lower in China. OK, so ASP is going to be lower. I know they don't break this stuff out. This could be an issue again year over year. And I'll make one last point. OK, the stock is up 95 percent from its lows yeah, on January 3rd. I'm not sure in it. the history of the U.S. stock market. There's ever been an equity to gain a half a trillion dollars in a calendar year. I'm just saying that there is an unusual amount of sentiment. Is 5G going to power another 50, 60, 70 million iPhone sales 
next year they roll out 5G phones. No, no. Because not, the, not the, in this country. The price point is going to be so ridiculous, and the service is not going to be there to justify it. There will be no super cycle. There hasn't been a super cycle for years. Which is odd how it add that capital to it, and that just makes me want to stay long because no one can explain it. Is it about services, about the blended PE? Yep. I don't know. So you can buy it, you can own it, just don't buy it, the on the five, don't buy it on the 5G promise, I think. Okay, on deck. The one picture that has got BK here all fired up. Mm-hmm. It's his chart of the week, and it's been touching new records. What that chart is ahead. Plus, from our chart of the week to your call of the day, Snap shares jumping on an upgrade, but will these gains soon vanish? We'll debate it. We are live, as always, from New York's Times Square. More Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It is Friday, so that means it is time for your chart of the week. Okay, BK, you are flagging a big move for the financials. Yeah, so for the first time since the crisis, actually since 2007, XLF has hit a new high. So it's taken almost 12 years to get all the way back up here. And what I think is interesting is a lot of people want to buy a breakout, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at where the yield curve was when the financials a tip topped out back in 2007, 2008. It was as flat as it is right now. And as the yield curve re-steepened, the financials actually sold off. So don't be fooled by financials breaking out and saying, hey, wait a second, if the yield curve steepens again, they're going to do really well. If you look back at history, they don't tend to do well. And actually, it's because when that re-steepening comes, that's when you get the potential for a recession coming. So I, I think that's a, a real good point. I, I would make a point, though, that when the, the banks actually, when the yield curve inverted back in, in 2007, into you actually saw actually 2006 into 2007, you saw that the banks actually outperformed during that period, which was, of course, a prelude to a terrible run. Uh, I'm not suggesting that now. I think what makes now an interesting time for banks is that banks are back to where they were pre-crisis in terms of capital distribution. So in terms of dividends, in terms of their ability to do buybacks, remember those that last round of stress tests, even J.P. Morgan almost tried to fail that test because they wanted to be as aggressive as possible. That's what's bringing back, I think, big institutions into the sector because they can pay proper dips. I, I think you, you look at the run that we've seen in these banks, it was uh, tax cuts and deregulation. I think that's run its course. We're not going to see any more of that. And to your point, that was picture perfect today. They capped out exactly the same spot where they did back then. So I I do believe you have to have a perfect world set up. And these returns have been great this year. I don't know if they could replicate these returns going forward, though. Yeah, I would just be cautious. I mean, it doesn't mean you sell short. It doesn't mean we're going to have a banking crisis. I just, you know, when a lot of people see something break out from 10, 12-year highs, they tend to want to buy that. In this case, I would use some caution. I don't don't want to sort of, you know, sort of beat the same drum, Tim Seymour, but... 
this repo move, we got $150 billion coming in on December 31st and $150 billion more coming in on January 2nd. $300 billion being put in the overnight repo market. I know it's wonky, guys, but this is a big story. Some people think it's nothing. Some people think it's a lot. Where do you stand? I think it's a lot. And I think we, we've talked about this on the show in the last couple of days. We talked about this yesterday. And I think you have a case where um, this type of liquidity has done two things. One is it's actually flooded liquidity into the market. It's also pushed down volatility, pushed people into the market. This is a risk, remember, because the minute the Fed starts to unwind this, they tried to tell you this was not uh, this was not you know, Q, QE again. It was stealth QE, and it's real, and it's been important for the equity market. Okay. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. And welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Snap. Parent company Snapchat jumping today. After JMP Securities boosted its rating on the stock to an outperform, got an upgrade. It is your call of the day. Analysts say they're confident Snap's ability to grow its user base, increase engagement, and improve overall monetization. Grasso, you've loved this name for a while. It's had a great run. You stay nice in it. Picture of you. I've, I've been actually in and out of this name. I'm currently in the name now. I, I believe the the IPO price was 17. I believe that it's going to be trading above that. They put a, a, a $20 price target. So that's a pretty good percentage move from here. Plus, they have a gaming platform launch as well. I think people are coming back here. I think they threaded the needle on political ads between Facebook and Twitter. I think they did it perfectly, fact-checking there. I don't think they have to do a hell of a lot right to really blast higher from here. The stock is up dramatically year to date, but I still think it has a lot of green ahead of it. Anybody disagree with that? No, I actually agree with that. I mean, here's when we talk about a breakout. $18 was your double top back in August, September. It's come off of that. I think you can get into it now and try to play for that breakout and get the momentum on it. I, I'll disagree. Why not? I mean, I, I think you have a case here where I think the company, certainly the borrower is very low in terms of monetization and usage trends, and I think they've, they've certainly recovered. Uh, I think a lot of this move in Snap could be attributed to just the move in Facebook. How about people? The, the, the good news for Snap is I think the social media space in terms of allocation, there's not a lot to do out there, and I think there are people that want more diversification. With the, the headwinds on Facebook right now, Snap's getting an allocation that I don't think it deserves. Yeah, and I think you just have to remember, here's a company that's expected to do $1.7 billion in revenues on a gap basis are going to lose close to a billion dollars in net income. So, you know, all the reasons why a lot of the 2019 uh, tech IPOs that are losing money um, are down well below those IPO prices. At some point, this is going to become an issue with Snap. If they cannot improve the monetization, cut that net income loss and yeah. kind of get to profitability. 
Okay. Good discussion there on Snap and your call today. So it is time for the final trades. Mm. Why don't we go around the horn and begin with you, Mr. Tim Seymour? A lot of time spent today talking about retail sales, health of the consumer, where are we in the cycle? You know, to me, when interest rates stay this low, when people are employed, and you can say what you want about the job market, Home Depot and even Lowe's, but Home Depot, this pulled back to 215 uh, at a multiple now that makes more sense for this company. I like Home Steve, Depot. Steve, why make this complicated? I'm going to use Snap as my final trade. Use it as a trading vehicle. Trade it from $14 to $17. Buy low, sell a little bit higher. Okay, BK? So of those three ghosts that we had at the beginning of the show, inflation, or at least the Fed was one of them, they told you this week they want some higher inflation. You buy gold. Big O8 tonight, hey, then, huh? Big O8. You know, you don't hear much good about those millennials anymore. But we've had this intern or page or whatever he is ah. with us for the last three oh, months. Will, Will Parsons, yeah. the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, well. He's been one of the best. We've had a great time with him. Give him a lot of heat. He deserves yeah, a lot yeah, of praise. Great kid. Um, nice job, Will. Yeah. Um, stick around. OA, American Express. We'll tell you how to buy it with defined risk. We'll look forward to it. All right. Thank you, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.